Good morning again. Thank you, Don, and uh, everyone who was involved this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3 with me as we continue our look at this uh, particular chapter on winning the prize um, that God has called us to. Philippians chapter 3, we'll read from verse 12 to 16 this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press... Toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. And if if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your precious word, precious word that we can stand firmly upon and trust in every way. Lord, we thank you once again that you have brought us to this place this morning that we can hear, Father, your spirit speaking to our hearts. We pray that our hearts would be open to your truth and that we would once again take it within, Lord, that we might grow before we leave this place. And that we might honour you more and more each day of our lives. We might grow more into the stature of our Saviour day by day. Father, we long to be like him, to live for him. We might glorify him in our lives. And people might see him living through us. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Now the Olympic Games are, um, are often um, come along or associated with courageous acts, ages, uh, acts of of courage and inspiration. And from a particular Olympic game at at the Mexico City, um, there came a story of a marathon runner, an African, who was running its marathon and he fell during this marathon and fell quite heavily. And he... It set him back quite a way. But he continued to run. And the stadium was empty by the time he got there. Everyone had left. They, they had the ceremonies, they had awarded the medals, everyone else had sort of come in. And he came in and plotted, plotted in by himself uh, a long time after. And there was a reporter uh, there who managed to, to hang back and wait for him and, and he wanted to ask him a particular question. And he, uh, the, the news reporter uh, went to him as he, as he came over the finishing line and he, and he said, you didn't have to do this. In other words, finish this thing off, you know, way uh, after everyone else. And the, the runner said, why? He goes, my country didn't send me here just to start the race. They sent me here to finish it. You know, with, the, with this analogy of um, Paul uses, Paul loves to use the Olympics as, a, uh, as an analogy for the Christian life. 
And in this particular analogy, in this particular passage, he likens our life to a runner, to a marathon runner, in order to help us to understand what's required to complete this course, to run, to live this life, to run this race, what discipline is required of a runner. Um, in the athletic competition, is required of us. Effort, focus, dedication in order to win a particular prize. You see, too many Christians um, feel these days that once they fall over and, uh, and, and maybe injure themselves or hurt themselves, that it's, it's okay just to hang back and just forget about running the race. Um, if you looked at most Christians these days and the analogy of, of a runner, most Christians, after they've fallen over for a little bit or experienced some sort of hardship, have actually retired from the race completely, bought a house or a block halfway along the actual course and have settled down and, and, and lived there without actually finishing the actual race. But God calls us to pick ourselves up and to move on. This is the calling of a Christian. And this is the picture that Paul is, is giving us here in this particular passage, that we are to continue this race. We are to strive for that prize at the end. And this particular runner didn't win the prize at the end, but for us there's a prize. For us there's something that we are to gain, that we are to grasp, and we are to focus on. And the endeavours that we put into this thing should overwhelm everything else that we put our focus on in life. And today I want to share that story with you about what that prize actually is, because that prize isn't salvation. You see, salvation was given to us at the beginning of the race. You see, that, that runner represented a country, did he not? Okay, so as he ran in this race, competing with other nations, he represented a nation himself. And he wanted to fulfil the obligations that he had to his nations. He wanted to, to make his nation proud of him, for trusting in him. You see, we represent a nation. We represent a kingdom. A kingdom that is eternal, and that is outside of this world, and that is greater than every other kingdom in this, in this world, or indeed in this universe. We represent the kingdom of God, and we've been called to run a race. And we represent this kingdom in our lives, and people watch us and they see. That news reporter was watching to see what this person would do, and he couldn't quite understand why he continued. But I suppose when the actual runner gave him the explanation, he realised why he continued. Paul... I'll give you a bit of a recap from last week and from the, from the previous weeks. Paul, before he met Christ on that road to Damascus, had tallied up a great number of important things that he'd done. Now, he, he actually gave us a list at the beginning of this passage about who he was associated with. You know, was, he was a member of the Pharisees. He had, he had trained under Gamaliel. He had done all these different things in his life that really made him a person of importance in this world. He had a great reputation, he had a great heritage, he had a great accomplishments. But you know something? After he met Christ on that road to Damascus, he realised that all these accomplishments, all the things that he thought were so wonderful before God, that he was showing God how wonderful he was, realised when he compared them to what Christ did on the cross, when he took all the things that he did and he lined them up against that cross, realised that those things were all useless. Those things were of no value. And it was the work that was done for him on the cross that had ultimate and infinite value. Those things that he trusted in, he trusted in no more. 
Those achievements that he took great pride in didn't have pride in them anymore. So he discarded them. He let them go. The one things or the things that he thought were once valuable realised they weren't valuable at all. That the only thing of value was knowing his saviour. Was coming into a relationship with him and relying and trusting what he did for him. That life-changing experience opened Paul's eyes to the truth and his life was never the same. So what now, Paul? After you've had this life-transforming thing that happened to you on that road, after you realised that all the things that you had done really were of no value and you put your, your trust in God, what is there now for you? After you've been granted salvation, after you've been given the gift of the Holy Ghost, after all these things have been have been given to Paul, what now? Well, Paul goes on to tell us that his desire, that his main desire was to come to know his Saviour more and more and more every day. His desire was to know him in a much deeper way with every passing moment. And he would do this by allowing the grace of God or the power of God which raised up Jesus to be at work in his own life. He would be the conduit He would be that avenue through which God's power would work. And when people saw that power within him, that power would flow to other people and people would be saved. Paul says in a a couple of places in in his letters, he doesn't come by by mighty words or, or things of that nature, but he comes by the power of the Holy Ghost. The other way he would come closer to his saviour was to allow the suffering that he went through, and Paul went through a huge amount of suffering. When you, when you read some of the things that he went through, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, ostracised, all these things that happened to Paul, he could have used those as an excuse to say, God, you don't care about me. But he didn't. He used every one of those things to allow him to come closer to his saviour. He allowed suffering that he went through because of his obedience to Christ to draw him closer and closer to him, that he would rely more and more on him. He would, in every possible way, use every possible occasion on this earth to foster that loving relationship that now existed between him and his Saviour. That's what he wanted to do. That love that he was shown, that love that, that was displayed for him, that touched his heart, that changed his life, was now flowing to other people and he wanted that to grow more and more in his life. Paul declares that his main desire was to grow in this loving relationship with his Saviour. But there's a problem with love, isn't there? There's a problem with love. Love will bring you suffering. It always does. Genuine love will bring you suffering. Why, you might say? Well, think about it. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Love brings you suffering. It's inevitable in this world when you truly love others. And what happens when you love others is that you generally open up yourself to others and you open up yourself to be hurt. And unfortunately, what happens is you normally are. When you love others when you care about others, when you are concerned about others, 
Often others, those others will let you down and the suffering they go through breaks your heart. We know it. We pray for our, for our, our friends, our families, our loved ones all the time because we, they aren't in this relationship with God. We want them to be saved. And when we see them slip into eternity without knowing Christ, sometimes we don't even know how to deal with that. I don't. Because I can't imagine where they are, where they are now. Genuine love brings pain. It brings suffering. But that's what Jesus did, you see. My Saviour came to this earth and went through all that suffering because he loved us. The ones that he came to save, he allowed to kill him. He loved so much that that led him all the way to that cross. Jesus doesn't want us to avoid suffering. Because to avoid suffering means to avoid loving. And love is why he came. And love is the name of this game. When we suffer for his sake, there is much gain for us. There is much gain. We don't suffer enough in this country. We shield ourselves from suffering. We like to cocoon ourselves in our neat little worlds. Sometimes we don't want to get our hands dirty with dealing with people who are too much of a, of a pain. We'd rather stay away from them. So we isolate ourselves as much as possible. We make our lives as clinical as we can and we, we keep away from the pain because to get too involved with other people's lives brings problems, doesn't it? But God has called us to these problems. God has called us to be the solutions to these problems. God has called us to carry that message that changed our lives to these people who have these problems because they need to hear this message. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 with me. We'll see what the Apostle Peter says to us regarding this. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of, God, uh, spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. There is much to rejoice in when we suffer for Christ's sake. But if you don't put yourself in a situation to receive that suffering, you will never know. The Apostle Paul wanted more than just resurrection. More. He realised that he realised he'd been given eternal life as a gift. He realised that. He says it over and over in his, in his letters. But he wanted more. He wanted his resurrection to be something special. He wanted, you know, when, the, when, those, when those athletes stand on those podiums, he wanted to be on the top. 
he wanted his resurrection to be something so special that when he stands before his saviour, his saviour would reward him. That's what he wanted to live for now. It was the most important thing for Paul that when he saw his saviour, that, that what he brought, what he did with his life would bring a smile to his saviour's face. What about us? What do we strive for in our lives? Who are we looking for to please? Ourselves? Our friends? Who's the number one in your life today? Who are you looking for to please? Because there's no one more important in our lives than our Saviour. He's the one we should please in every possible way. So Paul tells us in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3, not as though I had already attained, I haven't reached there yet, he says. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul did not feel himself ready to be resurrected yet. And he links this with becoming perfect. He plainly tells the Philippians that he was not perfect yet. He hadn't reached where he'd wanted to get to. He hadn't reached his goal. And even though he was the possessor of so many things and spiritual gifts and he'd accomplished so much already in his life, he thought, I'm not ready yet. His desire through suffering, through the power of the resurrection and through his personal relationship with Christ, Paul wanted to be as perfect as possible for his saviour. Paul was still on this journey. He didn't feel himself as if he'd reached where he was meant to have gotten to. With respect to his own holiness. Does that surprise you? The Apostle Paul, 30 years after he got saved, was still saying, I'm not ready yet. I haven't reached where I want to get to yet. If Paul did not believe that he'd reached his goals, then how do we compare to him? How do you and I compare to the Apostle Paul when we, when we stack up our own lives with respect to him? If we were to contemplate the achievements of Paul, of Paul, his obvious knowledge of the scriptures, his ability to preach the gospel and convert thousands, the thousands of converts that he actually had as, as a crown for himself, the extraordinary revelations that God gave him whereby he was able to pen these wonderful letters that we read today. Even though he had done all these things, he didn't consider himself to have achieved after 30 years what he really wanted to do for his saviour. What does this mean for us? And what did he mean by it? Did he mean that he wasn't going to get to heaven? Well, no. He knew he was going to heaven. But he wanted to be as perfect as he possibly could be before the Lord called him home. He didn't consider that he had, he had enough to lay at his Saviour's feet when he got there. And this was a challenge to the Philippians and it's a challenge to us in our personal lives. What do you have to bring? What will you and I have to show when we finally go home? Turn to Revelation chapter 4 with me. 
as we read this passage, I'd like you to, to consider, if you were to die now, what would you bring to your Saviour? What would you have to show for the time, the grace that he's given you? What would we have to bring? Because uh, this life is short. If you live to 100, you've done extremely well. But there's an eternity that follows after. So what do we bring into that? What are we carrying into it? We can't carry our wealth. We can't carry our riches. We can't carry these clothes, our homes, our cars, our careers here. None of that will actually be transportable or useful. But there is something you can bring. What would you have for the rest of eternity to show? Look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show, show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Look at verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Who are these 24 who are these 24 people? Well, some say they're representative of the, the Old and New Testaments. You know, the old, the older or 12, there were 12 uh, tribes of, uh, of Israel. And New Testament, Jesus chose 12 disciples for, for a new, the new dispensation. Maybe they, they represent two dispensations. I don't know exactly, to be honest with you. But I do know one thing. These individuals had crowns on their heads. Whether they'd achieved it, I don't know. But there's one thing I do know, that they cast those crowns before his feet. They took it off their head and they gave it to him. And they said, you deserve it, not us. Whatever they had, whatever they came there with, they realised it wasn't of their own doing. It was because of what he'd done. It was because he was worthy of those things. And you know, one day we're going to get into heaven. We're going to arrive and we're going to have something to show. And my prayer is that each one of us will have much to show. There will be much fruit. That when we look back at our lives, God will say, look at what you did here. Look at that person you spoke to. They got saved. Look at what you did here. You encouraged this person in their life when they were struggling. And now they became a, a strong follower of mine. Look at what you did here, there and everything. What, don't you want to hear those words? Don't you want to hear that the little things you did throughout your life made a big difference in eternity because that's all that really matters here. All the stuff that we concern ourselves with in this world really is only temporal. The only thing that lasts really are the things we do for Christ. And they're the things that, that we are going to want to hear when we stand before his throne. The last thing I want to hear is that when I stand before his throne, he'll say, you've got nothing really to show. 
you know, I saved you, but you spent most of your time and most of your life living for yourself. You've got nothing to show now. Yeah, I saved you, but you squandered the time that I gave you. Imagine that. The Bible says that we are striving for crowns. Did you know that? Most of you know that there are different crowns that Christians can, can strive for and win. 1 Corinthians tells us, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. We're striving for a crown. 2 Timothy also says, I have fought the fight. This is Paul at the end of his life. He says, I have fought the fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That was, that was his goal, to keep the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. You see, keeping the faith till the end huh, is the, the proof that God genuinely saved you and that that crown of righteousness is the righteousness that he's actually given you. Remember, we receive what we are made righteous in the Lord by faith in Him. So by simply keeping the faith, there is a crown of righteousness that's waiting for us. In this Christian life, there is much that we receive when we put our faith in Christ. The moment you turn to Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour, it's incredible the things that happen at that moment. You have an eternal home. You have, you have a street address already lined up for you in heaven. I'm not sure if there's a mailbox at the front, but I know there's a home ready to go with my name. There's the indwelling of the Spirit of God. God came in and decided to live inside my heart. That happened at that point. There's a fellowship with my Saviour. All of a sudden, there's a new relationship I have with God. I can go to him directly. I can talk with him. I can converse with him. I can come before his throne. All of a sudden, I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm a child of God. I have a completely new identity. God got rid of my old identity and gave me a, a brand new one. And he gave me spiritual gifts. He planted somehow within me certain abilities that only come because of him, because he gave them to me. And my job is to find out what they are and to use them for his glory. There's a relationship that I have also with other believers. All of a sudden, I have a new family. Now, I had a family before, and they're fine. I love my family. But all of a sudden, I have a new family, a whole new family. This family is not just you guys, but also encompasses every believer in the world. That's why when you, when you meet a believer from any other country, when they come and visit us, or you go over there, all of a sudden, you, 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 you make a connection. All of a sudden, there's, there's something that happens there's this affinity with each other. That's, that's family. You're at home already with your family. There are, there are many things that God has done for us as soon as we get saved. But perfection and crowns are not one of them. Perfection is something he didn't give me when, when I started on this journey. Crowns aren't something I, I achieved already as soon as I started. Those are things that he wants me to work for. Those are things he wants me to achieve. These must be sought after. Though our names have been written in heaven when we first trusted our Saviour, 
What comes after that gift of salvation is what matters to us now. It's growth. And every child who is born, their parents want to see grow, and God wants the same for us. So what's Paul's attitude, even though he hadn't achieved his goal after 30 years? Would you be discouraged after 30 years not to have achieved your goal? Some people get discouraged after one year of effort. Well, Paul had been going for 30 years. Did he despair or lose hope or give up trying to be everything God was calling him to be? Did he throw a tantrum after 30 years of being a Christian because he still wasn't perfect? No. The first thing that Paul makes very clear is that he is not satisfied with where he is. The first thing that Paul does is he says very clearly, I'm not happy with where I am. I'm not satisfied with my present condition. He knew there was something better. He knew he had to continue to move forward. And this is where each one of us must start. You have to start at this point. If you want to, to gain this prize, if you want to win this prize, you have to start with the point of being not happy. Not happy with where you are. Because the moment you get to a stage where you say, I'm happy where I am, I've done enough, guess where you're not going? Forward. You're not going to improve. This is the place where we must start if we want to make progress with our spiritual walk. Not being happy with where you are is the foundation upon where you can build onto greater things. I've shared this with you once before. I had a Jewish accountant once. And one of the things that, that he, he told me, which stuck in my mind, is that he said that um, a person will not make any change in their life unless they are sufficiently unhappy with their position to do something about it. You won't, make it, you won't make that change in your life. You won't put the effort in to make the, the hard decision until you get to a point where you're so unhappy with where you are that it, you force yourself to do it. Because if you're generally happy, you'll put up with it. And too many Christians are okay with sin. They're okay with living a mediocre life in this world. God doesn't want us to live a mediocre life. He wants us to be unhappy with the situation in this world. He wants us to be sufficiently unhappy that we make some incredible decisions for him. And Paul was sufficiently unhappy with his level of holiness and perfection that he wanted to do something about it. And I do not believe there's a person here who can honestly say that they've already surpassed the Apostle Paul in, his, in holiness. That we can say we've surpassed him and, and we don't need to continue with this struggle, with this war. So I conclude that all of us should be unhappy with where we are. Am I correct? Okay. The second thing you need to believe if you want to make progress in this Christian war is to believe that you actually can change. You believe that you can actually grow. You can actually grow. There are plenty of Christians who are living in this world who have given up, who don't believe anymore that they can actually grow spiritually. 
They gave up the fight a long time ago. They gave up on themselves. Even though the word of God says you can, they've lost their faith in that. They don't believe it. But the Bible says that you can grow. Regardless of where you find yourself today, regardless of your position, you can improve. You can move forward. But without belief, you won't put the effort, will you? If you don't believe you can achieve a specific goal, you will not put the effort in. And that's what God wants us to understand. First of all, be unhappy with where you are. But second of all, believe you can reach it. So Paul's response is then, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He follows, and this, this term follows after is a bit like chasing. He's following after this thing. He's chasing it in order to catch it, to seize it. The vigour with which this, uh, this, this following after and to apprehend is a bit like... Um, Alan on one of his stations when someone breaks the law and he wants to apprehend them. I'm not sure how fast you run, Alan. But I mean, your, your legs would be you'd be moving pretty uh, pretty quickly if if someone had you know had had broken the law and had or had injured someone or whatever. You're, you're you're putting some some effort into it, aren't you? Okay. It's a bit like a football player who sees that ball in front of him. Do they put effort to go and get that ball? Of course they do, unless you're a Carlton player. <laughs> so Paul says there's, there's, there's an amount of effort that needs to go into this thing. There's an amount of urgency that has to take place. And we must understand that this chase to follow after perfection is something that requires a great amount of effort a great amount of urgency, a determination that surpasses all the other things that we put our mind to in this world. And Paul says that he follows after, he chases after, that he might catch it, that he might apprehend it. The very thing that he was apprehended for Christ for. That's an interesting uh, statement. He wants to catch the very thing that Christ caught him for. What is that? What did Christ catch him for? You see, Paul was saved for a purpose. He knew it. If Paul says, I was apprehended for a specific reason, then you and I have been saved for a specific reason. Saved for a reason. Not just saved for no reason at all. You and I have been saved for a specific reason. And Paul knew that reason. We're not saved just to languish around and be the same as we were before, languish in sin, and the misery of this world, turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. Verse 28. As we see the reason that we've been apprehended by Christ. And the beautiful thing, Romans chapter 8 verse 28. You know the, the beautiful thing about being a Christian? The beautiful thing about salvation is that God came chasing after us. He chased me. He chased you. And finally, he got me. He never gave up. And it says here that he chased me for a reason. And we know 8 verse 28, we know this verse, and it says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are 
the called according to his purpose. Look at this. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's your calling? What's my calling? It's that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus in this world. That's what we've been chased and that's what we've been called. God called us and now wants us to become like his son. He wants us to look, to act, to feel like he does. He wants us to have his character. That's the pursuit that we need to have. That's our goal, to be like him. That in everything I may be just as he is, this is our goal, to be perfect like him. That's our goal, to be just like him. How do we compare with our Saviour's life this morning? How close? How close are we to being like him? Paul realised that he still hadn't achieved that after 30 years. He wanted to be as close as he possibly could to his Saviour. He wanted with all of his might to be just like him. But what does it look like? Do we have to walk around with some disciples and, uh, um, and go preaching in the streets? or you know, What does it look like? Well, it might require preaching in the streets. It might require walking around. It might require selling everything that you have. I don't know. It depends what God calls you to. The truth is that being like Christ is different for every one of us. Every one of us is different. It looks different. Why? Because we're all saved at different times. We have been given different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different opportunities. We've been called to grow to the maximum of what God has given in our hands. Thus, someone who has a little can grow to the perfection in relation to what they've been given and to the grace they've been given and the circumstances that they're in. A pastor, a deacon, an usher a Sunday school teacher, a cleaner, a musician, have all different callings and look different. So men are different to women, are different to children. There are different expectations. So how do we all look like Christ? Well, it's part... Remember that story, the talents? God gave a certain number of talents to, to his servants and... The goal of those talents is that each one of us has been given a certain number of talents and we are to do with those talents what God has called us to do to the full potential. The one that was given two, he brought back another two. And God was absolutely wrapped with that. He didn't want the one who, who had two to, to bring back ten. Whatever you've been given, whatever God has put in your hand, whatever circumstances you find yourself into, work with that. The truth of being like Christ is not to do exactly like Jesus. Not to look like Jesus. I don't have to grow a beard. Not to do exactly the same things that he did, but to have the same character that he has. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our experience, regardless of our gifts, we can respond in a way in life that's consistent with his character. That we can be like him. So when something comes up against us, we can respond to that the way he would respond to it. 
This is why this relationship with him is so important, you see. This is why being as close to him as possible is so vital in our lives. Because without it, it's useless. Religion without relationship is meaningless. Meaningless. So Paul says in verse 13, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. This one thing I do. And he puts it in a negative way and a positive way, but it's the same thing he's talking about. He forgets what's behind. Forgets. Forget those things which are behind. And he reaches forward, forth, to grasp that thing which is in front of him. You want the recipe for a positive life? Step number one, look forward. Look forward. Forget your past. Forget the failures, the difficulties, the heartaches, the hurts and all those things. Forget them. Put them in the past where they belong. And don't carry them around everywhere you go. Letting those past hurts, those past feelings, those past uh, uh, problems that you experienced affect everything you do today and tomorrow. Nothing behind you is any good to you. Everything behind you is only a distraction from you moving forward. So we must make every effort to forget about the past in order to move into the future. You can't take the baggage of every hurt, disappointment, frustration, regret, carry it around everywhere you go and expect to have your eyes focused on the prize at the same time. How would that marathon runner have been if he grabbed all his luggage from the airport and tried to run with that? He already came in last. Yet we seem to do that too often in our lives. We get so caught up in what happened behind us that we camp there and we don't move forward in our lives. We mustn't allow ourselves to get caught in the past. And I'll tell you something, the only reason we do get stuck in the past is that we choose it. We choose it. God has given us the ability to move forward with our lives. He gives us that ability. And you need to believe that if you are to move forward, if you are to progress with your life. Our flesh, your flesh, my flesh, wants, us, wants to park us in a particular place. It wants to park us. It wants us to turn back around and take our eyes off the prize. Our flesh wants what's in the past. It wants what it had before. It can't let go. That's why we get stuck in the past sometimes, because we give in to our flesh. But the spirit within us wants to go forward. That's why the spirit is willing, but the flesh is very weak. It finds its identity in what happened back there, not what's happening in front. It's scared. The flesh is scared of what's happening in front, isn't it? Because it knows there's nothing left for it there. It knows The flesh knows there's only death in front, but there's life in front us because we aren't the flesh anymore the real us is the new us that's been planted in us by God
And how do we move on? How do we get freedom from this past? Well, there's a simple choice that needs to be made. And it comes back to being dissatisfied again, being unhappy with it. We must be so dissatisfied with living in the torment of the past that we must, by the grace of God, choose to let it go. Choose to not let us weigh us down anymore. We must hate it so much that we see it as an evil thing. And how, how would you do that? Well, let me ask you a question. If you're saved today, I will guarantee you've had victories in your life, have you not? You know, when I was, when I was saved, the first thing that God changed in me overnight was my tendency to swear. That was a little thing for God, nothing. But overnight, that was a confirmation for me that something had happened in, already in my heart. That was a, a victory that God had given me. I wanted to, to change that before I got saved. I wanted to stop swearing, but I couldn't even do it with my own effort. And God, one day, when he, when he pulled me out of, that, uh, out of the mire that I was in, all of a sudden, I stopped swearing. And I knew at that point, God was working in my heart. I know every one of you has a story like that. I know every one of you has a victory you have in your life. You've been able to overcome. Maybe it was addiction to cigarettes. Maybe it was drinking alcohol. Maybe it was any number of things that plague people in general. If you've overcome in the past, then you can overcome again. Not by your effort, but by his grace. Because if God gave you the ability to overcome something that you won the victory on, what makes you think he doesn't want you to win more victories? And letting go of the past is one of those victories that God wants us to win. He doesn't want us stuck back there. And the one key is to hate that thing so much that you see the abhorrence and the abomination that it actually is. That you realise the thing you're carrying around with you is a venomous serpent in your hands. Do most of you, I know some of you don't mind snakes, but um, if you were carrying, a, you thought you were carrying a luggage or a bag, and then you looked down at your hand and you realised there was a snake in it, would most of you continue to walk in the same way? Do the same with that. Treat it like it is. It's a venomous snake that wants to hold you back. It's dangerous because it stops you from being the person God wants you to be. Holding on to the past is like holding on to a particular sin. You all know what I'm talking about. There are sins that plague every one of us. And we struggle with those sins. And there are certain sins that we, we hold on to. We don't want to let go. We're scared to let them go. And God wants us to let those things go, see them for how ugly they actually are how much they're holding back our lives. Let them go. And God gives you the ability to let them go. And once you let them go, you can properly focus on what's in front. Because what's in front is fabulous. What's in front is incredible. That's where we should have our eyes, always. The prize is in front of you, not behind. Because in front of us, there's victory, there's life, and there's our Saviour who is calling us to him. Jesus is in front of us, not behind us. 
Jesus is leading us from the front. He's not driving us from behind. We must treat every day as a new day. We must, we must take the day that's just gone and say, that's done, I'm making a new start with God today. We must believe what the Word of God says. You see, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's love for you does not change from day to day. His graciousness, His compassion, His mercy on every one of us is new every day for us. You know why we get stuck? Because we want to live in the past, not Him. You know, when God took away my sin and cleansed me from my, all, all my iniquity, the Bible says that He took that and He cast it as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? There is no distance. It's so far, you can't, you can't measure it. That's the whole point. God is like that every day. And if you want to move forward with your life, you must be willing to let go of the past and do as the Apostle Paul says, reaching forth unto those things which are before, this is in verse 13, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press, I push forward. We saw a, um, we read a verse this morning that said, you know, for the press, Jesus, that they couldn't get to Jesus. The press is, is, is pushing, it's, it's, it's a force. And Paul says, I push forward. Ever seen those, those Roman um, those soldiers where they hold all their shields up and they've got the, the, the army, the opposing army coming against them and they, and they lean forward and they do this and they move a bit at a time forward because there's a press coming against them. But they push harder. They push together. And God calls us to press forward. Pressing forward takes effort. It takes stamina. It makes progress maybe bits at a time. But nevertheless, the Bible says we are in a battle in this world. God hasn't pulled us out. We are in the midst of a, of a raging battle for the souls of men. But praise God, the Bible says that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. There is nothing the Bible says that can come against us, that can overcome us. The follow, this following after, reaching forth, pressing toward, is exactly what Paul instructs Timothy to do. Um, but he gives us some specifics. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Thanks for your patience this morning. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. Look at what the Apostle Paul instructs this young pastor to do. He says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Catch it. Grab it. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Paul instructs Timothy, first of all, to run away from yeah, Paul also said, forget the past. Get rid of it. And Paul says to Timothy, run away from sin. Run away from it. And, and chase after these things. These are the specific things 
you are to chase after. He says, chase after righteousness. So we know that righteousness comes, first of all, by faith in Christ. But you know, there's a practical righteousness. There's, there's an account that God set up for me with, which is full of, of the righteousness. So when he sees me, he sees this perfect person. But in a practical sense, that righteousness needs to work through my life. With you guys, with other people out there, within my own head. That righteousness needs to express itself as well. And that's what we've been called to chase after, the expression of that righteousness. He says godliness. And that which has been planted within us is a new nature. It's God's nature. God's nature. But unless we, we work with that nature and we allow that nature to grow within us, it will only stay there. It won't, it won't grow. We have to allow it to grow. Turn to 2 Peter verse one, uh, chapter 1 with me, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about there. And then we'll just go back to 1 Timothy as well, just to continue those, that list. 1 Timothy, uh, sorry, did I say 1 Timothy? 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Now look at what God has given us here. It says, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have been made partakers of the divine nature, God's nature. He planted his nature in here. And now he wants that nature to come out. He wants that nature to actually grow and to actually influence the world for him. So we have righteousness, godliness. Then if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, the next one he says is faith. You know, we started out by exercising our faith in Christ, didn't we? You know, first time you put your trust in, in Christ, you exercised that faith, that small faith that you had, and that saved us. But after that, what happens to faith? Does it stop there? Well, the Bible says that we are to increase in faith. We are to grow in it. And the way you grow faith is, I've always thought this, is that it's like a muscle. If you don't use the muscle, it decays. But the more you use faith, the more you trust God for things in your life, the more God will show you and the stronger your faith will become. So there's a growth that needs to happen with faith as well. Then it says love. You know, we've been shown incredible love by God. A love that we can't... The more we contemplate it, the deeper it actually gets. Why did he love someone like me who didn't deserve anything, who was his enemy, who thought only for myself? Why did he bother to put all the effort in to chase after me and then, and then take a hold of me to save me? What value is in me? Nothing. But from his respect, it must be something. He put value on me. So my value is what he says, not from what I say. That incredible love, the Bible says, has been planted in our hearts and needs to overflow to people around us. Love is something that also needs to grow. We need to work on. These are the things that we need to be chasing more and more. Patience. Patience is something that's in little supply in this world. Everything, everyone wants everything yesterday. And they don't want to put the effort in to actually achieve 
achieve uh, results. But the Bible says we need only wait on the Lord. We need to wait on Him and follow Him instead of trying to lead Him. You know, impatient people, when they see that something's not happening, want to jump in and actually, and actually do the things for God. The Bible says we had to wait on God for our lives. But the Bible also says we had to be patient with one another. Because you know that the time that you become impatient with people around you, the first thing you do is remember how patient God is with you and me. God was very patient with me. It took 10 years of me hearing the gospel before I actually committed my life to him. I wasted 10 years of my life. God was very patient with me. 10 years. 10 years seems like a lot to us, doesn't it? But God continued for 10 years to call. And you know, even after I was, I was saved, even now, God is still patient with me. He's still patient. So the Bible says that we are to be patient with each other. We are to be patient with, with one another. We need to understand that God is, first of all, patient with us. Meekness. You know, esteeming others higher than yourself takes effort, does it not? The Bible says we are to look at everyone else around us and consider them higher than ourselves. Now, that takes effort. Because in our own estimation, the flesh wants to be always higher than everyone else. We always compare, our flesh always wants to compare what we've done compared to what other people are doing. We, our flesh always wants to compare how good we are compared to how bad everyone else is. The Bible says we had to chase after meekness. So when we look at these things that... that that um, Paul tells Timothy to go chasing after, these are the very, this is the very nature of Christ. You see, Christ was righteous. He was godly. He had great faith in his Father. He was full of love. He had patience and he was meek. This is what God wants us to be like. He wants to chase after these things because these things are all found in our Saviour. So just as to press forward in a battle requires courage, Strength, purpose. So fighting this good fight of faith requires the same. And we do so so we can lay hold on that prize that he has called us to. Eternal life was not just given to us as a gift to be left in a closet collecting dust. This life is meant to be lived with passion and grace. Running into the fray. Against the world, against the temptations, in defiance of the devil and his devices. For the only thing between defeat and victory is yourself. You just need to make the choice. Paul advises us that in order to be successful in God's eyes, we should follow after Christ. The very, for the very reason that he, that he took hold of us. Forget about what's behind and reach forward to what's in front. Press forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and that's to be as much like our Saviour as possible, to grow as close to him as we possibly can, to in this world be as he is. We've got much work to do. There's a lot for us to do. When you look at the work ahead, there's plenty there. There are people around us who are slipping into eternity day after day without knowing the Saviour. Do we concern ourselves with so many petty things in our lives? Do we fill our lives up with so much stuff in this world 
that we forget the big important things. The most important thing for us is to chase after him, is to be as like him as we possibly can. Once we take our eyes off that prize, we start to go backwards in our lives. So Paul says in the last two verses, Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, where till we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Paul says that even if there are those who believe they've attained perfection, Paul says, do this, keep doing the same thing. Keep aiming for him. And if, even if you have something in difference, God will reveal that to you as well. But he also says, wherever you've reached, keep it. Hold your ground at that point. Keep looking forward. Don't go backwards. Wherever you've attained, keep that in your life. Don't allow yourself and don't let the enemy get you to go backwards. Where do you find yourself in this race today? Where are you? Have you fallen? Are you still on the ground? Have you picked yourself up a number of times but you're, you're pretty bruised and hurting? Have you retired? Are you sitting under a tree? Enjoying some, uh, some sun? Or are you running into this fray? Are you, are you in this battle? Are you running this race? Because a race takes effort. It takes desire. It takes passion. This race is what God has called us to. To be just like Jesus. Are you putting in the effort worthy of this prize? Are you putting in this effort? Or are you just jogging along at your own pace? Have you lost sight of what you've been saved for today? Make your life count for Jesus. Make it count. Make a commitment to be as t- from today as much like him as you possibly can. Grow in his grace. Never doubt his love for you. If there is something you need to confess to him, do it today. Confess it to him today. Come before him now. Maybe we'll take a few moments now just to examine ourselves once again. Be honest with yourself. Don't lie. There's no point lying to yourself. You may as well be honest and say it as as it genuinely is. God knows our hearts and he wants the very best for us, but God wants us to run this race. Let's bow our heads and let's just spend a few moments just examining our our hearts before the Lord Is being like Jesus your goal today? If it hasn't been to this point, then make it so now. Tell him now that you want to be just like him.